If you have your Bibles, you can stand with me. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21. Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 21. We'll read the first 11 verses. Thank you, Lord. The Bible says in verse 1 of Matthew 11, on 21, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus to the disciples, saying unto them, Go unto the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them. And straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes. And they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees, and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that it would allow it to have free course in our lives. Speak to our hearts through your Holy Spirit. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. If you don't know it by now, today is considered Palm Sunday. It's a day that we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into the city of Jerusalem. If you know the story of the gospel account of the life of Christ, in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus asked the disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, is? And whom do you say that I am? And once they give that answer, the Bible says from that point on, he set his face toward Jerusalem. He knew he was going there for the last time. He would go there and he would be crucified. But today on this Palm Sunday, our message has a question is what kind of king did you expect? What kind of God did you expect? What kind of savior did you So again, we're celebrating the day when Jesus Christ rode on the back of a young donkey. And it's interesting, I was looking at some different Bible translations this week. And I've, I've said it myself, and I have heard other preachers say it. Uh, some of my Bibles have headlines before the paragraph. And almost all of the translations uh, identify this as the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. A triumphant 
entry. And I thought about that. I had to ask a question. If this was a triumphant entry, why did they crucify him at the end of the week? Same crowd, two different results. Why did they crucify him by the end of the week? So that's a problem. And by the way, this is a glorious day. It was all a part of the plan of God. And it is a glorious day, but something goes wrong by Friday. And by that Friday, Christ will find himself betrayed by one of his own disciples. Arrested by the high priest guard, accused by a group of religious leaders, tried by the Roman government, sentenced to die, the death of a common criminal, death by crucifixion. In a few short days, what went wrong? There were three special religious celebrations that all male Jews were required to return to Jerusalem for. And one of them was the Passover, of course. And Passover week included another celebration that began just a few days before Passover came. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. And all male Jews were required to return to Jerusalem. No matter where they were in the world. And so on that Sunday, there would be a great procession of Jewish people from all the world coming into the holy city. Getting ready to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread and ultimately the Passover. But what's interesting, there were two processions that day. And we can't verify they happened exactly at the same time. The Bible didn't say that. But what's interesting, according to Roman historians, in the year 30 A.D., there's a record that the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, led a procession of the Roman cavalry and centurions into the city of Jerusalem. We can only imagine the spectacle of that entry. From the western side of the city, according to Roman historians, the opposite side that Jesus came in, Pontius Pilate leads this group of Roman soldiers on horseback as well as on foot. Every soldier was clad in a leather polished armor. On the centurion's head there were hammered helmets gleaming in the sunlight. At their sides were sheathed in their scabbards were swords. Uh, They were crafted from the best metal in their hands. Each one carried a spear. 
if they were an archer, they would have a bow and a string of arrows across their back. According to historians, drummers would beat out the Cajuns' march because this would be no ordinary entry into Jerusalem. Pilate was governor of the region, including Judea, Samaria, and Idumea. And he knew being governor, it was a standard practice for a Roman governor of a foreign country, territory, to be in his capital any time there was a serious, important religious celebration. Now again, this is the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread and ultimately the Passover. One of the strange Jewish festivals the Roman government allowed the Jews to do. But also understand, the Romans certainly were aware that the main reason to celebrate Passover was to celebrate the liberation of the Jews from another empire, the Roman Empire. And that being said and being knowledge to the Romans, Pilate had to be in Jerusalem. About 80 years before this, the Jews became under the thumb of the Roman Empire. And ever since that time, rebellion was in the air, looking for a chance, trying to find a way. The last great rebellion had happened about 34 years ago, about 4 B.C., and the rebellion started out in the city of Sepphoris, about five miles from Nazareth, the boyhood home of Jesus. And before it was over, the city of Sepphoris and the city of Emmaus were destroyed by the Roman army. Having put the rebellion down, the Romans then marched on to Jerusalem. After pacifying the city, I don't remember what that historian said what it was that they did. But then they crucified over 2,000 Jews who were accused of being part of the insurrection. And so the Romans were determined to make their intolerance for rebellion known to the Jews. We will not allow it. So on this particular occasion, Pilate traveled with a contingent of Romans' finest from his normal place of preference, Caesarea by the sea, And he comes to the crowded provincial capital of the Jews, the city of Jerusalem. I have read that probably at this time of year, well over a million Jews were in that city to celebrate these festivals. And the temple would be the center 
of Passover activity. We talked about that last week in Sunday school. We showed a picture of an artist drawing a rendering of Herod's temple. Just to one corner of that, right next to the temple, was Antonio's fortress. A Roman garrison built right there by the temple compound. That was a great vantage point for the Romans to keep an eye on the Jews during this special religious celebration. So when Pilate and his army came into Jerusalem, the message was clear. And it was for those who might be plotting or thinking about revolting against the Roman Empire. It was meant to remind them of what happened the last time somebody tried to overthrow the Roman government. It was meant to intimidate the citizens of Jerusalem that they might know any such idea to join such a rebellion would surely fail. But like I said, we're talking about two processions here. And our story today is on the other one. The day that Jesus and his entry into Jerusalem. And if Pilate's procession was meant to be a show of military might and strength, the procession of Jesus Christ was meant to show just the opposite. And both Matthew and Mark record the words of Jesus. And Jesus says to the disciples to go into the city and you'll find a donkey tied up. And you're to ask the owner if we can use that donkey. And if they say anything to you about it, just simply say, the Lord has need of it. But what's interesting, Jesus then quotes from the book of Zechariah, chapter 9. And look what he says in Matthew 21, 5. Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now remember, the Roman government came with a great procession, demonstrating his power and authority. But God, long ago, wanted to know their king would come riding on the donkey. But what's interesting, that's only one verse from Zechariah chapter 9 that Jesus quotes. So there's more to chapter 9 of Zechariah than just describing the animal Jesus rode on that day. And when Zechariah was writing, he was writing to the nation of Israel. In chapter 9, Zechariah assures, actually reassures the people of Judah, God has not forgotten you. That time in their history, they were sure of that. But I'm going to tell you today, folks, I don't care what you're going through today, God will never forget you. 
And God was saying to the Jews, I haven't forgotten you. So there's more to the passage. Look at verses 8 through 10, Zechariah 9. Now God is speaking. Look what he says. I will camp around my house because of the army. Because of him who passes by and him who returns. No more shall an oppressor pass through them. For now I have seen with my eyes. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and has salvation. Lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So in Matthew's gospel, Jesus quotes from the prophet Zechariah. He reminds, and when, when they hear that verse, that one verse he quoted, it will remind the Jews of the entire passage. Everyone who heard him knew the context of what he said. And the message that they heard was that God is going to deliver our nation from the oppressor. And in their situation at that time, their oppressor was the Roman Empire. But Jesus, quoting from Zechariah, as Zechariah prophesied, the king that they seek will come to them humbly. He won't come on a stallion of war like most commanders and kings would come. But he would come on a slow-moving donkey. And everyone knew in that culture to ride a donkey was a symbol of peace. So the two processions could not have been more different. Completely opposite. Jesus Christ comes not asserting his power and might, although he had it. He comes riding on a donkey, a young, a young donkey, embodying peace and tranquility. He is giving a picture Of the genuine shalom that God would bring to his people. That's interesting. Those that would watch that day would have to make a choice. Will they serve the God of this world? Will they be enamored with all the pomp and the strength of the Roman people? Or will they choose... To serve the king of a very different kind of kingdom. The kingdom of God. That day they were lining the streets. And my friend, there wasn't just a few. The gospel says there were a multitude of people there. And as he came, they laid things in the, in the roadway. Palm branches and other things. And they cried out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of of the Lord. 
Now, the word Hosanna originally means save us now. But it also became to be used as a word of praise, like we might say, hallelujah, or praise the Lord. And we can only imagine as the, the uh, parade processed and progressed toward Jerusalem, how they shouted over and over again, Hosanna, praise the Lord, they're excited, their king is coming. Wow, what a day. What excitement filled Jerusalem. Their king has arisen, has arrived, I'm sorry, arisen will be next week, right? He's arrived. But there's another problem. They were so excited. I mean, you, you can't imagine the excitement. You can imagine the joy and celebration. But there's a problem. I'm not sure how long this book has been out, but it's called Leadership on the Line. Marty Linsky and uh, Ron uh, Heifetz wrote this book. And here's how they define leadership. Leadership is about disappointing your own people at a rate they can absorb. Disappointing your own people at a rate they can absorb. So there's a problem Jesus has. Now, I do want to say, when I say that, it's not with him, it's with the people. His followers that day are caught up in the celebration of Christ coming to Jerusalem. And they think, in that celebration, we are choosing to follow you. We are going to follow you. How many know sometimes it's easy to get excited in church? And sometimes we have a hard time doing that. But anyway. <laughs> but when you're out in the world, a little different story, isn't it? But this day, they're excited. We are going to follow you. Hosanna to the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But here's what I want you to know. By the end of the week, Jesus would disappoint them at a greater rate than they could absorb. They couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle it. And so they're going to turn on him. We studied in Sunday school this morning, even the twelve, the closest to him, ran and fled. One even betrayed him for the kiss. Hosanna to the highest. They were sure it's going to happen. We are now going to be liberated from Rome in a short while. And by the way, they were correct because Jesus uh, was the fulfillment of those prophecies. But what they missed was they didn't understand where the kingship of Jesus would lead him. The people who were praising God for giving them a king had the wrong idea about Jesus. 
They had a wrong idea about his mission. They expected Jesus to be a national leader who would restore their nation to its former glory. And because of their expectations were wrong, they were deaf to the words of the prophets. And they were blind. They were blind to the mission of Jesus. They simply missed it all. And so as the week moves on, when it becomes apparent that Jesus was not going to fulfill their hopes, many people turned against him. And some of the same crowd, just a few days later, would cry out, Crucify. Crucify. They were placing their faith in Jesus, that he would restore the glory of the nation to the same splendor that David did when he and Solomon, his son, ruled on their kingdom. That's what they wanted. To be ruled again like a, by a man like David. A man so committed to God that the Old Testament prophets proclaimed that the coming Messiah would sit on the throne of his father David. That's what they wanted. They were sure the Messiah would bring back the glory of Israel. The Messiah would rid the nation of their oppressors. The Messiah would rule kindly even to the common people. They were sure of that. By this time in the life of Jesus in his ministry, he had challenged the religious leaders many, many times. He had said to them that the temple was not the only way to God. Not at all. He also said that one day that temple would be destroyed. And the Jews couldn't handle that. Not one stone left upon another. And so those who would make their living from the temple, the scribes, the chief priests, the regular priests, the ruling council, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they would lose their power and their prestige if there were no temple. And if the temple is going to be destroyed, where can we go? Where can we pray toward to receive forgiveness from God? It came to the point that when Jesus Miraculously heals a lame man. But he first says to that man, your sins are forgiven. He healed him and he challenged the authority of the temple. Disappointing the Jews. When he drove out the money changers from the temple. When he proclaimed that The temple was meant to be a house of prayer for all nations. When he accused them of making it a den of thieves, he exposed their corruption of the temple tax. He exposed the scandalous monetary exchange rate. And he exposed the dishonesty of those who were selling animals for sacrifice during Passover. So I want to say in the next few days in his ministry, 
even before that, Jesus had disappointed a lot of powerful people. He wasn't what they expected. And what's interesting is this. There were two kingdoms, a very, a very different contrast. Now again, we don't know how accurate the Roman historians were. <coughs> Not sure that these, the Roman government entry and Jesus' entry happened the same time or planned to happen that way. Whether it's planned or not, we don't know. But you can't miss the contrast. Two kings, two kingdoms were on display that day. The kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. And again, that day, as they cried out Hosanna, a lot of the common people thought they had sided with Jesus. But the sad thing is, they did it for the same reason the Pharisees and Sadducees had sided with Rome, to a point. They thought that Jesus could do for them what Rome had done for their rulers. Make their life better. Deliver them from the oppressive system from which they lived and worked. And they believed that Jesus would turn the tables on the Romans. That's why, by the end of the week, the crowds turn on Jesus. He has disappointed even the common man. They begin to realize, and they don't believe that any of those things are going to happen. And they come to a point that week, they concluded that Christ is not going to make their life better, but make it worse. Kind of interesting, the Sadducees and Pharisees never agreed on anything. But one thing they did do, they did agree on this. Jesus had to go. He had to go. Because they realized if Jesus began to attract the attention of Rome, Rome was going to come down on their nation and they will suffer the consequences. So when Christ is accused, when he is brought by Pilate before the angry mobs, they want him gone. They don't care how, they don't care when. Well, they want it now. He didn't do what they wanted to do. He didn't defeat the Romans. He didn't dissolve the unfair tax system. It was still there. He never put common people in charge. And he never would. They were disappointed. Pilate trying to pass the blame and appease the crowd. came and said, I tell you what I'll do. Let me give you a choice. 
It's customary to release a prisoner. I'll either release Jesus or Barabbas. And the crowd said, release, release Barabbas. Release Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. Crucify Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves this morning. If we had been there that day, and we had witnessed Jesus riding into Jerusalem, would we have chosen to follow him no matter what? Or would we choose to follow the world system? Do we want Christ to be Lord and King of our lives? Or do we want to go the rest the way of the rest of the world? And even though we weren't there 2,000 years ago, do you realize that's a choice we make every day of our lives? Who are we going to follow? Are we going to choose power and might over love? Are we going to choose the way things are done over the way God intended them to be? Two processions, two theologies, two choices. Which one would you choose? Which one would you choose? What kind of king do you expect? Through his death on the cross, folks, the great news is Jesus made a way for you and I to have a relationship with God. That's why he came. He didn't come to set us free from Rome. He came to set us free from sin. The greatest oppressor of all time. He came to set us free. Through his resurrection, thank God for the resurrection. More on that next week. But through his resurrection, he gives us the hope of resurrection from the dead and the hope of eternal life. And through his Holy Spirit, he wants to change our life. And he can do it today. Let's stand together. Father, you are so amazing. In my wildest imagination, I can't imagine why you would ever send your son to die for a wretch like me. But, oh, Lord, I'm so glad that you did. And Father, I pray today that we will make the right choice. And to declare that Jesus is our King. And that we're going to follow Him all the way. I pray for those today who may be listening online or even here in our building. 
If they've never made that choice to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray that today they would run to you, Lord. That they would confess their sins, repent of those sins, and claim you as Lord of their life. Father, we need you today. We need you desperately. Speak to hearts as only you can. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Brother Rick, whenever you're ready, sing a song of invitation. If you'd like to come and pray, you can do that now. You can do it anytime, actually.